Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to a history of Europe, key battles. The Battle of Bouvines, Part 2 of 3. King John of England, in the years since the fall of Chateaugayard in 1204, had been preparing for an expedition to the continent to take back Normandy and his other lost French territories. But it would be no easy task. The winter of 1204 to 1205 was exceptionally cold, and there were widespread rumours that England was about to be invaded from France. John ordered that every man over the age of twelve must enter into a sworn pact to defend England if attacked. In actual fact, though, this proved unnecessary, because King Philip Augustus of France decided against invading England, and instead decided to consolidate his recent gains on the continent. John was eager to recover his lost lands, and so started to organise an invasion of France. He found, however, very little enthusiasm for such an expedition among the English nobility, who had lost any confidence in John's plans. In the next year, 1206, John did manage to put together an army for an expedition to France, where he made modest gains in Aquitaine and Gascony. But on hearing that Philip of France was raising an army of his own, he decided to back away and agreed a two-year truce, with only very modest gains. Realising that he did not have enough available funds to launch a serious invasion, John's main aim after 1206 was to raise money for a campaign further down the line. In order to regain what had been lost in France, John was going to require vast sums of cash, both to fund his own army of mercenaries and to pay for a network of continental allies to oppose Philip. So John set about exploiting English revenues with great vigour first raising a tax on the whole country's movables, raising more than £57,000, a very considerable sum. On top of that, John exploited a legal system developed by his father, Henry II, to accrue yet more wealth. The crown prospered handsomely from the fines and forfeitures of property that the results of criminal convictions in the courts. John spent his time not only amassing a great hoard of treasure, but also extending the power of the crown over Scotland, Wales and Ireland. John was starting to feel more confident, especially on hearing the news that his nephew and ally, Otto of Brunswick, had been crowned Holy Roman Emperor as Otto IV. He also received a boost when several French nobles, who were becoming increasingly concerned about the growing power of the French crown, sailed the Channel to pledge their allegiance to John, among them the Counts of Boulogne and of Flanders. 
The other main event in this period was John's fallout with Pope Innocent over the appointment of a new Archbishop of Canterbury. Kings had traditionally exercised a great deal of power over the church within their territories, but from the mid-11th century, successive popes had put forward a reforming message which included the rights of the papacy over ecclesiastical appointments. John was incensed when Innocent insisted on his own choice of Archbishop, Stephen Langton. He complained both about the choice of Langton as an individual, as John felt he was overly influenced by the Capetian court in Paris, and about the process as a whole. He barred Langton from entering England and seized the lands of the archbishopric and other papal possessions. Innocent responded by placing an interdict on England in March 1208, prohibiting the clergy from conducting religious services with the exception of baptisms for the young and confessions and absolutions for the dying. John refused to back down, in fact quite the opposite. He seized the lands of those clergy unwilling to conduct services, as well as those estates linked to Innocent himself. He also arrested the illicit concubines that many clerics kept during the period, only releasing them after the payment of fines, and seized the lands of members of the church who had fled England. By 1209 the situation showed no signs of resolution, and Innocent excommunicated the king in November 1209. Although theoretically a significant blow to John's legitimacy, this did not appear to greatly worry the king. Two of John's close allies, Emperor Otto and Count Raymond VI of Toulouse, who had already suffered the same punishment themselves, and the significance of excommunication had been somewhat devalued. If anything, John profited financially from the situation, since when the clergy went into exile, the profits of their bishoprics were claimed by the crown. However, by 1213, it was known that Philip of France was definitely organising an invasion force against England. To counter this threat, John finally agreed to come to terms with Pope Innocent. He went into negotiations with the papacy, accepting Steve Langton as Archbishop of Canterbury and agreeing to make England a papal fief. John had to pay dearly for this reconciliation, not only in having to pay fines to the Pope, but also because of the fall in income when he gave up the exploitation of vacant ecclesiastical posts. But John's reward was that he was now much in favour at Rome. Pope Innocent, in return, instructed the French to halt their plans for invasion. King Philip, however, had already invested a lot in the preparation for the campaign and planned to go ahead anyway. What he most needed now was the active support of Ferdinand, Count of Flanders, not least to secure the French positions along the Flemish coast. Ferdinand, however, in May 1213, declared that he was not prepared to join Philip against the English. For many decades there had been conflict between Flanders and the Capetians, the Flemish were traditionally eager to attain their political independence from ambitious Capetian kings and to attain good relations with England, with whom they enjoyed a highly lucrative trading cloth. King Philip's first marriage had been to the daughter of the Countess of Flanders. 
This connection enabled the French crown to directly take over a substantial part of the county on the death on crusade of Philip of Alsace, a former Count of Flanders. The reign of Count Baldwin IX of Flanders, who ruled from 1194, was dominated by his attempts to recover those lands, in which he had some success, including the recovery of most of Artois. But in 1202, Baldwin IX left his lands to go on the Fourth Crusade. Indeed, he became one of its leaders and was elected head of the Latin Empire of Constantinople when the great city fell to the Crusaders. A son of the King of Portugal by the name of Ferdinand became the new Count of Flanders on marrying Baldwin's eldest daughter in 1212 and inherited his father-in-law's desire to retain as much as possible the county's independence from Paris. When King Philip asked Ferdinand to assist with the invasion of England, the Count was forced to choose sides. Backed into a corner, he chose to go with the English, and Philip would have to count him as a foe. On hearing of Ferdinand's decision, King Philip immediately sent an invasion force into Flanders. According to Richard of Wendover, quote, destroying everything in his path by fire and putting the inhabitants to the sword, end quote. He led the bulk of his forces to Ghent, leaving behind a contingent to protect his fleet that had docked at the port of Dam. Ferdinand quickly entered into formal alliance with King John, who did not hesitate in sending help under William Longsword, the Earl of Salisbury, who was an illegitimate son of Henry II. When William arrived, he found the French too preoccupied with the sacking of Dam to properly protect their fleet. He seized the moment by stripping the ships of all their supplies before burning them. It was a spectacular success, the biographer of William Marshall painting a vivid picture of, quote, ships at sea burning and belching forth smoke as if the very sea were on fire, end quote. Philip's invasion of England was for now totally out of the question. Philip went ahead with the attack on Flanders anyway and inflicted a defeat on Ferdinand's forces, but this in no way made up for the loss of his fleet. John was overjoyed at this remarkable victory and attempted to muster troops for an expedition to Poitou in July. However, since the loss of Normandy, the barons of England had always been reluctant to wage war in France. They complained that John's tax policies had exhausted their financial means, and they were only prepared to go along if John met their expenses. John would have none of this. However, he did continue to payroll his continental allies, chiefly Emperor Otto IV, Count Renaud of Boulogne, and Count Ferdinand of Flanders. Meanwhile, in the south of France, John suffered a setback when his ally, Count Raymond of Toulouse, was forced into exile after getting involved in the Albigensian Crusade, a campaign which I will discuss in a future podcast. In the beginning of 1214, John's allies in northeast France were ready to invade Philip's lands, at the same time that John would lead his navy to Poitou in a coordinated attack against King Philip. John's plan was to split Philip's forces by pushing northeast from Poitou towards Paris, whilst Otto, Renaud, and Ferdinand, supported by William Longsword, marched southwest from Flanders. The stakes were extremely high. John had spent a decade saving up 
enough money for this invasion, at the cost of much discontent among his barons. Failure would lead to a further worsening of this troubled relationship. Victory, on the other hand, would bring great gains. In February 1214, John sailed from Portsmouth for La Rochelle in a long-planned campaign to recover the lands in France which he had lost a decade ago to the Capetian king, Philip Augustus. In order to pay for that force and to exert his influence over the recalcitrant barons, John's financial demands reached new heights. His exploitations of his feudal dues and the profits of justice increased greatly in the months before the invasion. And so, when in February 1214, John sailed from Portsmouth for La Rochelle, since many barons refused to provide military service, John had to find the money to pay mercenaries to fill the gaps in the ranks. The campaign started well. Throughout the spring, John employed a combination of diplomacy and siegecraft to secure Poitou. Peace was made with the Lusignan family, who had fallen out with John back in 1202. In early June, with Poitou successfully secured, John moved on to Brittany, taking Nantes by siege. Next, Angers, in the heart of Anjou, swiftly opened its gates. John next besieged the castle of Rochamoine, a key stronghold, and at this point received news that Philip II's son, Louis, was approaching at the head of an army. John, with a large army behind him, decided that the moment was ripe for a pitched battle. Yet his local ally suddenly lost faith and refused to risk battle with a French crown. Instead of fighting Prince Louis, John could only retreat and take cover back where his expedition had begun in La Rochelle. Next week I continue the story and talk about the final part of the Battle of Bouvin, including a description of the battle itself. I hope you can join me then. Have a great week and goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.